go. Are you sure you're ready, Emily? That takes me by surprise every time. <laughs> every time I say, are you ready before we hit record? And she goes, yeah. And then I go three and then she jumps. <laughs> well, because I thought that you were being like, okay, you ready? And then I'm just like, yeah, I'm ready. And then you were going to go, okay, ready to press record? I don't know. Yeah, I'll, you know what? I'll start saying that for you. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. All right. <laughs> do you want to do, do hoorays today or should I just cut that all out? <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's do some <laughs> My hooray is that I, um, two. One is that I, no, three. Oh my goodness. They're all little. No, the first one. The first one is that I went to um, a new doctor today, and I was very nervous, but I did it, and it went very well. Yay! I'm so proud of you. Um, second is that last night I made a pasta with tomato sauce and eggplant. Mm. Um, and it was so good. And I courgette for people in the UK. Oh yes. That sounds so yummy. It looked it really yummy. Good. Yeah, it was really, really good. Um, and I can't cook, so. And then my other little hooray is that I ordered um, a book from Barnes and Noble. And <laughs> why do you whisper it? Because oh, not a minute for my local one, but I was too impatient. Yes. Um, called for her own good. Mm, what's that about? I think. So it's basically about the medical establishment and what they've told women over time. My friend recommended it. I think it's like starting in the 1800s. That's so cool. Yeah. Just different points in women's health and um, the different things that they've been told. Oh my God. Yeah. Let me know what you learn in that. That's so interesting. I will. Very cool. Those are good hoorays. What about you? Um... Uh, to, like International Women's Day was yesterday, and I felt really hot all day. As and you that, should. That rarely happens for me. That, like, that's a that's a good day to feel that way. Yeah, I was like lip singing in my review mirror to myself, and I was like, "Damn, I'm hot." As but, you should. So that was fun. My mom got a minor surgery on her arm the other day, and so I took her. I felt very special because she wanted me to take her, not her husband. And so that was like, I was like that's right that was cute um, yeah so i took her and picked her up um and then we just binge watched gilmore girls like all day we watched probably nine episodes i love that so much it was so fun it makes me really happy i miss that show it's like every time i watch it i like realize how much i miss it and i'm like i should watch this more than i never do mm. i mean I've seen, not that i've not seen it through like three times anyways those are my hoorays yay should we answer our questions answer a question we got two questions today (laughs) um and i'll read it (laughs) okay (laughs) i fucked up i packed a new bowl so it was like clean Mm. it wasn't the ashes that you know you're right though i I smoke ash all the time because i'm too lazy to pack a new bowl (laughs) it's the experience it is. Well, sometimes I do. I just want the feeling of smoke in my lungs. That's healthy. Hey, yeah. You're, you're a good inhaler. I'm, I am. As someone we know would say. I know. <laughs> I love that she says that because I'm like, me too. I'm good at smoking. Yeah, that's the best part. So this question says, hi, ladies. Hi. Thanks for all the topics you cover. You're welcome. My question for you. 
Thank you. I like talking back. Um, I love it. In many ways. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. Okay. All right. All right. I sent Stevie pictures of Mads. Well, first of all, we got sent a picture of his hand. Oh, he's like gripping. We'll post it, maybe, if Emily lets me. He's like gripping you. a children's like toy. Like a sword. Like something. And there's just his... I'm sorry. It's okay. You got this. You got it. You got it. His veins popping out like, oh, he's gripping so... Okay. I have a thing for like, hands and veins. And then like that together with like the gripping, like... It's good. I made a fan cam, which will probably be posted by the time this comes out. I watched it five times today. But I so I watched the ba- the whole baseball scene and it's like it's so silly. It's, it's silly so because silly. it's David's fantasy. That's He's what I like, mean. This That's is high key romance to take her to play baseball and then yeah. I teach her how to swing. Like, come on. And it's also silly that like the showrunners could think that that could have ever happened like that's a high level of intimacy with someone that like you aren't sexually attracted to like he's fucking like moaning in her ear practically I know, gr- grinding up against her yeah hips before hands motherfucker like what yeah like that was what i just found weird because i know that I'm sure Jillian was caught between a rock and a hard place trying to figure out how the fuck to act that. Okay, shut up. (laughs) That was on purpose. No, that was not. That was not on purpose. Um, Um, Well, the thing is, is that I feel like they interpreted the characters as being much more emotionally intimate before it was actually fucking canon. Absolutely. I mean, could you imagine if all things didn't exist? Like... It very well couldn't have. Like, if, if Jillian like, had not written an episode, like... Really? If Jillian hadn't written an episode, all things wouldn't have existed? Shut up. I, I meant that they would have never... No. Like, they would have never slept together if she didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. But it is strange to think that, like, the... I say the creators. Chris Carter, like, didn't imagine them having a romantic relationship at that because like here's the thing right like i would absolutely do that i have like the highest level of intimacy with my friends yeah absolutely um and i would absolutely do that with them would i be like whispering seductively in the ear i don't i'm not quite sure for a birthday present Mm -mm. yeah it's very sexual Um, so but i just i just realized like as i was watching it for to record it i was thinking this is kind of silly anyway i got two sentences into that question sorry question asker no, sorry no 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 sorry. no that was my fault God. no that was my fault i started talking about matt's veins <laughs> oh yeah um okay they said hi ladies thanks for all the topics you cover my question for you my family is pretty strict let's try, in- let's try it again my family is pretty strict and traditional in most ways parentheses i need to get married and have kids etc and i feel like i'll never get to even explore what i want let alone live my authentic life i can't even imagine what my future can hold what the possibilities are because of this pressure and fear what are some tips for those hard conversations so i can live my life as me versus their expectations well 
I mean, honestly, I think this all depends on how dependent you currently are on your family, because I think um, a lot of this exploration can happen when there's some separation and you have like the independence and freedom to explore and experience things on your own. Um, But of course, if you're living at home and are financially dependent on them, that can be more difficult. Yeah. And I think too, though, um, like it's really important to um, remember that like you will get to explore what you want and indulge in all the possibilities Mm -hmm. that your authentic life will hold. Um, Because at the end of the day, like their expectations are just expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think like the biggest thing, the biggest thing for me is like, um, their expectations will only limit you if you let them. Yeah. And as frustrating, as frustrating as it is, is to like not feel like you can share your most authentic self with your family and have them be super excited for you and have them celebrate that part of you. Mm -hmm. That empty acceptance or that, that, that approval from them, um, while it's human to want to be seen and want to be heard, it's not necessary. Yeah. And that's what I'm struggling with right now. So I hear you, listener. Very fair. And I think like if they, if your family isn't receptive, then there's nothing you can do about that. Like you can't, you can't make it your mission to try to convince them. Um, But what you can do is you can. Yeah. It's not your responsibility to convince them that. The way you want to live your life is how you should be able to live your life. Exactly. What you you can do is you can seek out spaces where you can be authentic and work on finding and nourishing friendships that foster a a similar safe space um, Mm -hmm. and then separate it either as you get older or um, or more independent so you can begin to embody these things in your actual life. But it'll all happen at different paces. But until then, you can seek out spaces that make you feel like you can be. Absolutely. And also, I think going off of that too – like communication is key and I know that you um, wanted some like tips for communicating but like Stevie said communication isn't going to fix everything necessarily Mm -hmm. um, because they may very well not be receptive to what you say and so I think at the moment it might feel very overwhelming because it might feel like all of these expectations um, for what might eventually happen to you in your life or what they expect to happen for you in your life um can all feel like very overbearing and like just having that cloud follow you around is very overwhelming Mm -hmm. but I think if I was going to approach this conversation with my family it would be not so much about big picture things but Mm -hmm. about things that come up that physically make me anxious or that that visibly make me anxious or that um in the that Mm. um, that make me anxious in the moment or that make me uncomfortable in the moment um not that you have to address them in the moment but i would try to pay attention to little triggers that Mm. that that um bring on this anxiety for you and bring on this fear that you won't be able to live your most authentic life and then address those little anxieties Exactly. Like use that as the root of communication, because if you try to approach it um, as like a big picture and basically, and I saying like your expectations for me are not what are going to make me happy. And I just need you to, you don't have short of celebrating it um, and supporting it. I just need you to hear me. 
um, is going to be very overwhelming and very, and not and very intangible yeah. for the people receiving that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that approaching it is something like saying when something comes up, saying, "Hey, I'm not sure what my future holds yet, um, but it makes me uncomfortable when you predict it for me." Um, and it makes, it makes me feel like there's a goal that I'm unsure whether or not that will be achievable for me or best for me. And then, um, coupling that with some like concrete boundaries. So saying like, can we not talk about that when we're together? Can we not talk about, and then fill in whatever that might be like X, Y, Z when we're together. And then ultimately like recognizing that you need to free yourself from the expectations of others. Yeah. Um, and like Stevie said, I think once you, depending on how dependent you are, once you become less dependent, that will become um, easier. And much more tangible. Yeah. Um, I had some, a little, like a little piece of advice on like how to introduce some of the big picture things, but listening to you, I don't know if it's good advice now because I really, really agree with what you said. Mm. Want to say it? And then yeah, tell me discussion, t- or you can cut it out, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was just gonna say that you can always try to introduce some of these like new non quote unquote traditional ideas that you're interested in, like looking at. I'm not really talking about identity stuff, more of just like the way that you conduct your life, um, if that's an issue that you're having. Um, and like you can always bring up these ideas um into conversation in a way that's separate from you to gauge their reaction and receptiveness to the conversation like by saying um like this probably doesn't pertain to you but it's it's an example of a conversation that I recently had with my mom where I was like I've been reading a lot about how people in my age are actually starting to stray away from the traditional concept of monogamy like isn't that interesting um and she was like oh yeah, I've, there's only been times in my life where I thought I didn't believe in monogamy. And I was like, oh my God, wow. So then we had a more in-depth conversation about how I was questioning that and et cetera. Um, but I don't, uh, direct conversation is obviously always better and like definitely address the things that make you anxious first, like Emily said. Um, but no, I, I think that that's great. I think it, that but if you're wanting to branch into more broad conversation, like that could be a way to gauge their response without um, putting yourself in the center of it. Like, yeah lowers the stakes a bit I think so um I think that I think both of them like I don't think that there is one or the other that's better I definitely think like both of those tips compound each other very well um and it's like obviously like what I just said bringing up ideas like won't translate well when you're talking about things that have to do with your identity and who you are because then by posing it that way you're putting up your identity for debate and that's not something I'm advising, but right. Yeah, no. Um, and I'm just thinking too, like if she are, if this person already knows like how their family feels about something, mm-hmm. um, then like ultimately, you know, what's best. Yeah. So if, even if you think bringing this up, like outside of yourself is going to warrant a certain um, reaction or response from them. Mm-hmm. and that's going to cause you more anxiety than like obviously that's absolutely not your responsibility yeah. to like try to get them to accept mm-hmm. something that you want outside of the framework of your life yeah um it's like just solely if there are realms where you're like not sure what the opinion would be and you want to suss it out exactly and then i think that's very safe to do yeah um 
but definitely first and foremost, I think address what's immediately impending your dynamics with your family. Um, so like the little anxieties and things and, and set in doing that by setting boundaries. Yeah. And I think like, too, what I'm dealing with right now is like, for the past couple of days, I've been thinking about this a lot, which is just the fact that like, um, my mom knows that I'm queer. Um, but beyond me telling her and her um, knowing that piece of information about me, um, she like refuses to acknowledge it, <laughs> let alone celebrate that. And just recognizing that that's an issue within her, not within me, is a first step. But short of like trying to reconcile that within your family and, and how they view you and like their perceptions of you and what they choose to see and not to see in you, it is really, really sad that I won't be able to celebrate this part of myself with someone that I care about yeah. um, and with someone that I want to see me. But I think reframing that um, into thinking of all of the ways avoiding like the push of this empty validation that we naturally crave mm -hmm. obviously from family members and that we naturally want from family members mm -hmm. will pull me towards people who will celebrate me and love me mm -hmm. and are excited to show off that part of me in the same way that I am about myself yeah um but like the the push is still there to want mm -hmm. to be able to share this part of like all parts of, of yourself course. with people that are supposed to care about you mm -hmm. because it, it kind of begs the question of like, yeah, they care about you, but they care about a version of you that they have within themselves that that's very comfortable for them. Mm, yeah. So it's not really you that they care about if you aren't able to communicate with them, your true self and have them accept it um, and celebrate it wholeheartedly. And so is it sad that you won't be able, that you may not be able to, celebrate these parts that you want that are different from what your parents expect of you and what your family expects of you yeah of mm -hmm. course it is um but trying to reframe that as like from my situation like my mom will never receive that joy that this part of myself brings me mm -hmm. um along with me because it is such a big part of me and it brings me so much joy mm -hmm. and how that manifests is something that she will never get to experience or see in me and that's her loss. It ultimately. is. And that's a really powerful reframing. You think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's like, it, it's their loss more than it's yours. Yeah. Because she's not capable of giving you anything that you can't give yourself. I mean, obviously, you're going to want to share that part with her, part, just who you are with her, of course. But ultimately, it's it's she's the one that's missing out because she's missing out on experiencing you. Well, exactly. And like the alt the alternative is, um, which this is how it leads into the next question. But you're the just like, you're a privilege to know. And it's just, she's doesn't get that because she hasn't earned that. Right. And I think too, like the alternative to having approval from your family and being comfortable in that approval is like not being your most authentic self. Mm-hmm. And, and putting up a front where you feel like you can't truly express how you are mm -hmm. in order for other people to like you. No, it didn't lead in the question. It leads into what we're going to talk about for Jillian's Corner. Oh. Anyways, because yeah, the alternative is like putting up this, um, like you're, you become a chameleon because you 
are changing your true self in order to remain digestible and comfortable and um, acceptable to the people who have ex- certain expectations of you that don't fit with what you truly mm-hmm. are and what you truly want. Yeah. And that's not a nice way to live because ultimately you do have to come home to yourself. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yeah. That was beautifully put. One of my favorite things that Florence Given says is, which I'm so, which she was going to put on her merch at some point, but I don't think she ever did, was um, this one uh, woman sent her a question and said, like, I've told people that I'm queer, but like, no one want, no one believes me. And Florence's response was, I mean, that's like, if people don't want to, this is what you just have to say, mm-hmm. like, if people don't want to believe you, like, that's on you, but like, don't be surprised when I bring home a wife. And like, that's my favorite thing ever. I know. Because ultimately, like, that's what, if you communicate with people and they refuse to listen and they refuse to see you for what you're communicating and that beautiful part that you're sharing with them, then it's out of your hands. Mm-hmm. And just carry on living exactly the way that you are in your silly little authentic self. Yeah. That's so beautiful. That's all I have to say. It's such a privilege to know you. It's such a privilege to know you. I'm serious. If you think I'm joking, I will actually punch you through the camera. I didn't say anything. I just smiled. You went like this. You went. No, I didn't. I was just smiling. Yeah, you did. No, I was trying to smile. I was trying to (laughs) smile. (laughs) I'm doing my best. Thank you. I love you. I love you. That bit feeds into i think really well what we're going to talk about in jillian's corner so i'm excited about that yeah absolutely and it also fits well into this next question perfect so the next question is i have always doubted my sexuality i'm a girl sometimes i feel attracted to girls but only milfs and maybe only (laughs) (laughs) i love you just have high standards like what Oh my God, true. Literally, like, you just have fucking high standards. Good for you. Oh um, my God, true. And she says, and maybe only five in my whole life. Hey, you're picky. That's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. the thing is, is that I can't see myself with women in a relationship, but somehow I feel attracted to them. Um, and then she sends us a little nice bit about our podcast, and we love you. I won't read it, we love but you. thank you. I just want to say, like, you can be 1% into women and 99% into anyone else. And you can mean, or you can be 99% into women and 1% into anybody else and still identify as not straight as whatever you want. Yep. There's no requirements for being queer in terms of where your attraction lies mm-hmm. in, in this regard. Having said that, it does sound like it would be. Um, beneficial to look at and reflect on some possible internalized homophobia happening if you feel like you can't see yourself in a relationship with a woman that's where I was a couple of years ago and I think to be honest it went even beyond um, that to the point where it, it like thinking that inhibited some of my true sexuality from coming out mm. no pun intended <laughs> One of like the initial like tests, so to speak, that I did, which I think I've told you before, was like, um, I remember very, very clearly asking myself, like thinking in my head, like, um, that 
I might be attracted to women. And then I was like, wait, but would I ever marry a woman? And I was like, nah. <laughs> I was like, no. So I'm definitely straight. Yeah. Like I, that was, it was that easy for me. It's um, so easy. It was so easy for me. And I was like, well, that's all sorted out. <laughs> and then I was like, but hmm. Yeah. Like looking back, I'm like, no, babes. Like you still... <laughs> The second I realized that my aversion to be not wanting to, my aversion to being in a relationship with a woman mm-hmm. was rooted in internalized homophobia. Internalized homophobia meaning, which I just said to you, which I will repeat. Yeah. Um, internalized homophobia meaning that like my existence, believing that my existence couldn't be without some type of male influence in my life in some way in that, mm-hmm. in a romantic res- um, respect that um, I couldn't exist outside of men, that a relationship in order to be healthy and well-balanced required a male figure, Mm. that two women being in a relationship and being together wasn't inherently hypersexual, but rather that like the thought of all of all of these things were a result of internalized homophobia Mm. and specifically patriarchal homophobia, meaning particularly damaging to queer women. Mm -hmm. That was just inhibiting who I really was and what I really wanted. Um, and I allowed myself at some point to, thank you, Jillian Anderson, mm-hmm. to open the doors of like what I truly wanted and see what was on the other side. And a lot of that was just like surrounding myself with queer women who were mm-hmm. and not how the media portrayed them. Um, and putting myself into queer spaces, that kind of flipped the switch for me because um, it kind of uh, was a gateway t- for me to deconstruct um, all of these internalized homophobias and stereotypes that I had built up in my head that I was using as um, like a tiered list of like all of the reasons why I couldn't be queer because, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I think the initial thing is like looking at that. Um, and if you're attracted to five MILFs only, good for you. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. That is beautiful. I mean, like I've said it once and I'll said it before. There's something about a MILF, you know? <laughs> that should be on our merch. But I genuinely think it should. And then maybe that will be a sign for a MILF to make her way into your life. Make a move. Making her way into Emily's life to wife <laughs> her up. She's a housewife now. <laughs> yep. Anyways, I'm I th- ready. I think that was a beautiful answer. Do you want to get into the episode? Let's get into the episode. This is humbug. <laughs> My nose is already stuffy. This is not good. I okay. So here's the thing. I was really really stoned when I watched this episode. Um, like I took an edible and it was like more than I expected. <laughs> And I was like, fuck, I gotta watch it. So I sat down. <laughs> More like I laid down. Oh, boy. Um, and then I went back earlier today and put in some coherent notes of, like, places that I mm. that I like pinned where I was like, I need to go into this, but I don't have the mental capability to do it. I did do that, but I didn't get rid of the, the wonky ones. The so, like, do you want to hear my first yeah. two notes? Yeah. Hoomboog. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> And I'm scared. <laughs> those are my first Honestly, thoughts. I think those are great. Thank you. My first thought was, 
we open on the moon. Oh, she's so pretty. Oh. And then my second thought was, let me say this right now. Whatever is about to happen, it's no coincidence that it's happening in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> We're funny. That's funny. My next note was why I sat through this whole scene. I'll never know. <laughs> it is dragged on for so long. But we just read through our notes um, about the context of the episode. Like, just that'd be really funny. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Set the scene. Children are playing in their pool, and someone, something with scales? Question mark is stalking. <laughs> it was like a train wreck. I just couldn't look away. <laughs> Just go back and forth. Um, okay. Anyways, this is Humbug. Also, Humbug. AKA Humbug. Um, Humbug. And it's, it, it has to be, <laughs> it has to be episode uh, 20. 20. Or 19. No, 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 19? 20. 20. I just edited you episode in the last 20. episode saying it's 19, I'm sure, because you just looked it okay, up. Okay. Episode, episode 20. Uh, so we open on the moon. She's so pretty. We in love her. Gibsonton. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm going to choose to pronounce it. Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, the wacky shit that goes on in this episode, I'm not surprised that it takes place in Florida, <laughs> the epicenter of oh, this country's shit. most bizarre shit. Um, so children are playing in their pool in the Florida backyard. Is such a weird state. It's such a weird state. Do any of you guys live in Florida? Let us know. (laughs) And let us know how weird it is. Yes. I know that we're right. (laughs) My grandpa lived in Florida. So, yeah. And, like, something that we don't see fully, but, like, it looks like it has scales, Mm. is, like, stalking them. Who knows? Um, Then their dad comes up out of the water, and he is indeed all scaly. Um, so it was spoiler alert it was their dad it was their dad gerard 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 why am i having gerald gerard i like gerard better <laughs> gerald Glazerbrook. Ooh, that's a mouthful the alligator man apparently okay um according to his van right so uh we think the crisis is averted it was just the dad until we see something else is still stalking them mm-hmm. um, out by the pool. And after the children go inside, this thing attacks the dad and kills him. Do, 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 do. That really triggered my daddy issues. Like, what did? Just like the dad <laughs> coming and then leaving so quickly. <laughs> mm. <laughs> just feel like I was five again, you know? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, the kids are like, you're finally back from your show. And he's Dead. like, psych, <laughs> I'm about to pull the biggest trick of them all. Jesus Christ. Okay. This is morbid. Okay. Yeah, let's move on. So, opening credits roll. Oh, we're back with our favorite losers. They're in the FBI basement. I love her hair so much. I know. Her and hair like- is slowly transforming into the 1940s starlet of everyone's dreams and thank god because Mulder's is awful it's so bad it looks like it's just static all the time and it takes him until season four to really be better again yeah and it Mm -hmm. god who did that (laughs) like i'm mad at (laughs) that who did that to him (laughs) who cut it like that 
Um, so do you think Scully ever cut his hair? Yeah. Okay. She was surprisingly good at it. I think so too. I mean, she's probably good with scissors. And I bet her mom cut her dad's hair, and so she blades. would watch them and like learned. Bitch, her dad was bald. Later on, she could have had hair at one point. No, he was bald from He's the always bald. Yeah. I was born bald. <laughs> I wasn't. I had a full head of hair. That freaks me out. Like a, <laughs> a baby having hair. Like a lot of hair when they just yeah, come out. I had dark bl- I had dark brown hair. Wow. No, I was bald for almost the first year, full year of my life. Are you serious? And no hair came in. I was just bald. I was baldy until. Aww. And then, and and then, then my mom said literal corkscrews started to pop out of my head. So I had like, there was a period where I had like three. Cute. <laughs> That's so cute. Oh my God. Okay. So Scully is looking at the picture from the autopsy of the alligator man who was killed, mm-hmm. Jerry. Scully is looking at the picture from the autopsy of the alligator man who was killed, Gerald. Um, Gerald. Gerard. I think I want to say Gerard for some reason. I had a friend named Gerard. Cool. In college. So Mulder Mulder says So Mulder says that he suffered from, I'm not even going to try it. Anyways, a congenital skin disease characterized by the shedding of the epidermis in the form of scales. Then he shows her a picture of the mutilation entry wound that killed him and explains that nothing else was damaged He's just got a large hole on his side. That's so weird. So Mulder says that there's been 48 attacks in the last 28 years occurring in every state in the continental U.S. almost. Um, and that the victims have nothing in common aside from, obviously, the wound that kills them. Mulder asks what Scully thinks. And Scully, looking so fine in her tailored hourglass silhouetted tan suit. Crazy how great things can look when your clothes fit. <laughs> It's it's truly remarkable. Um, she says that her initial thought is she can't imagine going through your whole life looking like this man, which really like it t- took me back because I was like, really, it's so genuine and interesting because she's almost transcended the empathy that comes with like someone passing mm-hmm. um, when it comes time to solve solve a crime. Um, like, of course, she has that empathy for the victims and, and anyone impacted by that loss, but mm-hmm. she's ultimately driven by her determination to give them justice. Here, she's been shown, like, this brutal and gruesome crime photo where this man has been mutilated, and her first thought is, I emphasize, emph- emphasize I empathize so strongly with this man and his strength for living with this condition and outward appearance his entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, she's just pure and precious and that's compassionate. A, that's a good way to interpret it because I was interpreting her a lot of her behavior in this episode as really judgmental. And I chalked it up to Darren Morgan, it being Darren Morgan's first time writing Scully because it didn't seem. Yeah. No, there was a lot of. There were, there were a lot of parts that, um, that were. Um, she was very judgmental and I think written very um, wrongly because just this, not it wasn't congruent with her character. I think that Scully is one of the most compassionate women I think I've maybe ever seen written on television. Um, 
and the that's the reason that I interpreted this first part. That's a great way to. Just because after she's seen like these gruesome photos, you know, her first reaction wasn't, um, God, what a horrible way to go, or you know, yeah. must have been in so much pain. It was like I can't believe that he had the strength to. And I don't think she was saying it no, like, oh my God, I can't imagine being so ugly. I was going to say, I way. think that, I don't think Jillian played it like that. I think that she played yeah, it exactly no. how you're saying, but I think it was written like that. Oh no, I agree with you 100%. Especially that. And I think she tried to play it differently each time, but she was written as being. I agree. So, and then another reason why I say that is because um, this is an example of her love just being unconditional and unwavering. And I say that because she proves that again later on in the series when um, Jeffrey Spender comes back and mm. he's claiming to be Mulder, but mm. he's been so severely burned oh, yeah. um, all over his face and his body that the scarring made him unrecognizable. Um, and Scully says that she doesn't care if that's how he looks now and that she'd accept him and she'd love him still, even if it was Mulder. Yeah. Anyway, so we transitioned to the funeral of Jerry Glazebrook um, and a man with no arms is reading the sermon. Um, the, Jerry's wife was a bearded lady, which is so transphobic and wrong on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Scully's looking around in the crowd, um, we see that this man obviously was an entertainer of some sort and we see other assumed performers um including little people of extremely large man sitting next to Mulder. i mean i think it was in this scene like in terms of what we were just talking about with scully looking at the um it gerald or what gerald whatever the fuck see fuck. i told you it's because it's you know why it's because we both have visual minds and we picture the g-e-r yes. in our head first and like that makes me want to say j yeah oh whatever um i was picturing a g um (laughs) but in terms of what we were just talking about with that like it shows scully looking around and it 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 has it the pan around the crowd goes off of her look so it's imagining as if we're looking through scully's eyes and um that feels like i obviously don't know what the intent was but it feels like it was written with the intent to project her judging the crowd but then in the very hmm? like as a caricature like she was yeah character i'm really struggling characterizing them yeah exactly like she was just like and and like in shock at how wild everyone looked and all of that but then in the last shot where it actually shows her expression when she's looking at um a little person behind her she smiles and then that goes away so i really think that it was her acting choices going against um what some of the intent was in the writing of her character because i think it was darren morgan's first time writing her um i agree it's really sweet when she smiles at him. Yeah. Yeah. So as Scully's looking around, um, we see other assumed uh, performers, including, like Stevie mentioned, um, the little people sitting behind her. There's a super large man sitting next to Mulder. And then there's a man who climbs out of the ground from under the coffin to ram a railroad stake through his own chest. And I think he was really doing all of those things. I was going to say, I, I believe he was as well. Yeah, like the the actors doing all of the the acts that he does. The acts and things, I think, because it was a real um, performing, traveling performing group, wasn't it? Yeah, as we know from Jillian. Oh, I can't wait. 
Should we um, say that now? Or should we wait till later? Yeah, let's say it now. Let's say it now. Okay, so there's a um so because they were doing this episode with an actual um performance group, I can't remember I looked it up too and I can't remember the name of it. Oh um someone will tell us <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll also post it yeah and we'll post about it but um so there were actual performers there who were doing tricks like off set when they weren't shooting and um, <laughs> on a panel with david and jillian um th- they were talking about filming that episode and like what they remember um and she was <laughs> you want to say because I'm, I'm gonna quote it wrong okay yeah so they were talking about what actually happened in the episode yeah and jillian mentioned the penis tricks that that one guy was doing and david had to inform her that that didn't actually happen in the episode that that happened in one of their trailers (laughs) when they weren't filming (laughs) and jillian got very she laughed so hard yeah she gets very very red and it's very very cute and um uh, then they start naming the tricks that this man was performing um, with his penis. And uh, it looked like a hamburger. hamburger. Yeah. The flying squirrel. Oh, that's what that's what happens. She says, can you show me the fly? Can I see the flying squirrel? And she takes a sip of water and David says, I'll show you later. And she almost chokes. Yeah. So we're going to post that. Oh, that's also the origin of why we always... Um, say this phrase exactly or in the same tone because david tried to play it play it off as if he had been there when it happened and of course jillian was not going to go down on this ship alone suggesting that she was in someone's trailer watching a man configure shapes at it with his dick (laughs) when she was married alone yeah when she was married and so she said, you were there. Yes, you were. <laughs> so that's what we're quoting all the time. If you Let's catch us doing that. You were there. Yes, you were. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but he looks so hot there when he's like, no, it wasn't. Oh, my God. Okay. This man who pops up out of the ground, groundhog, the police try to get him out of the funeral, but he calls them fascist, fascists, <laughs> which he's right. Um <laughs> So then everyone in the audience runs over to run him out of the cemetery while Mulder and Scully just sit there watching it all happen. And, yep. So they go talk to the sheriff at a circus-themed diner. So the sheriff says that Jerry was an artist and that his skin condition kept him from fame. And so he made a living as a a sideshow performer. The sheriff explains that this town was founded in the 20s when Barnum and Bailey's shows started coming there. And so because of that, the town is filled with sideshow performers um, like Jerry Mm -hmm. um, because it has its roots in circus performers. Yes. Scully suggests that a sideshow performer may be responsible for the killing. She argues that a sideshow performer would have toured much of the country over the years and that their isolation from everyday society caused by their physical deformities could have built up pathological resentment so intense that murder would make sense, which I just like hearing her talk for extended periods of time without taking a break. Mm -hmm. Um, The sheriff interrupts her to say that these people, despite their physical deformities, are as normal as anyone and therefore couldn't be capable of murder. Okay. To which Scully expertly yep. replies, 
Until their arrests, many, 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 many serial killers are considered by their friends and family to be quite normal. If you truly regard these people as normal, then you must also consider the possibility that they are capable of committing these crimes, which like fucking go bestie. <laughs> Which I love because she pulls like a, if you're feigning equality and normalcy here, then suggesting that because they're different, they couldn't have committed these crimes is actually you doing the complete opposite. Yeah. Which I like. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Mulder wanted to high five her so badly. Yeah. After she said that. So he just asked some random question about the illustration in the menu to distract himself. (laughs) He was, like, literally just, like, looking at her, like, with his jaw on the floor. And he was, like, oh, fuck. Uh, what's this? <laughs> I bet he gave so, her a little knee squeeze. So Mulder asks about an illustration in the menu of a mermaid-like figure. And it was copyrighted by Hepcat Helm, who they go to see in the next scene. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my note for this scene was this upcoming one. Mm-hmm. Was this is a long scene of Scully not talking and Mulder not fucking me? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt about the beginning. Yeah, Mulder was talking for f- way too long. I was like, "Where is Scully's face?" Like enough. I hear you. I hear you. So, when they meet him, the sheriff tells them that he's an artist and he operates a carnival funhouse, which Hepcat gets very offended by and calls it a tabernacle of terror. Scully is like, okay. Mulder asks him about the illustration in the menu. He says that it's the Fiji mermaid, and its origin is that Barnum claimed it was a real mermaid, even though it was just a dead monkey with the tail of a fish sewn onto it. This thing is so drawn out. Like, for what? I know. Um, However, Hepcat explains that once Barnum called it a hoax, um, and like basically doxed himself that made more people want to go see it so maybe it was real basically he says you don't know where the truth ends and the humbug begins clever little title humbug uh, callback humbug so scully is very <laughs> unimpressed humbug Scully's very unimpressed, but Mulder wants to stay for a night to investigate the simian tracks that were left at several of the crime scenes now that he knows about this mermaid. Mm -hmm. Scully makes a joke about how Mulder's a sucker. We love to see it. Not the first time. And that's the quickest way I can describe that drawn out scene. So Mulder and Scully try to check into a trailer park hotel thing. And Mulder asks if the man at the front desk, Mr. Nutt, um if he's been a part of any circus shows he gets real mad naturally he gets very offended by that um and goes on about how it's wrong to judge someone based solely on physical appearance i feel like scully definitely quoted that guy's whole speech verbatim in their kitchen one day when Mulder asked if if she needed help getting something off the top shelf her being like just because i'm a person of short stature doesn't mean i think that's absolutely correct so he mistakenly judges Mulder based on his appearance as well and his unimaginative unimaginative necktie, which I genuinely think season six or seven <laughs> Scully would have been very offended by. <laughs> um, and he says that he's an FBI agent, which like, oopsie, he is. Yeah. Um, so Scully's face is very cute when Mulder yeah. flashes his badge because partly because she's turned on Partly because she's embarrassed for this man. 
partly because she's like, hey, listen, if I didn't know, I might think the same thing. <laughs> so she's like, damn, he got you. Yeah, her face is so cute. Okay. She's like, I'm not going to say anything. So then some man comes, takes her luggage. It's the same man who has something growing out of him, who was at the funeral earlier, mm-hmm. um, who is also clearly an alcoholic. Uh, he walks them to their trailers and he discusses with them how being a headliner was the best job he's ever had until Mr. Nutt convinced him it lacked dignity. And then he makes a joke about how now carrying other people's suitcases somehow is even less dignified. Than yeah, that was fucked. I was, whatever. Um, I have a really long, I went on a tangent here. Yeah, so we bear with me and see if it's even coherent. Mm-hmm. So like this guy, this idea of this guy being told that to use his, what he refers to as a deformity as a public display for income for material game lacks dignity is so fucked up. And I feel like mirrors the same conflict within feminist thought between defying femininity because it plays into the patriarchal capitalist society that we live in and purposely playing up the notion of femininity that is created by the male gaze. Like, does that make sense? Like a simpler yeah. scenario is like the, is like shaming stay-at-home moms or housewives. Like, right. And being like, oh, that's shameful because that's not, like playing into. But um, what defines feminism, as you've said so many times, is choice. And if a woman chooses to dedicate herself to motherhood, more power to her. Like if it, it's if she doesn't have the choice to do anything but that, that there becomes a problem. And I feel like that same need for choice exists here for this guy in the sense that if he wants to make money off of what makes him different and what has probably made his life difficult at times, then like more power to him. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's something wholly very, I feel like anti-sex work and ultimately anti- Yeah. That's uh, misog- what I think it was. Misogynist. Misogynistic about the fact that this man was using some f- some part of his body yes that's to it. make an income that's exactly what it that's triggered, somehow yeah. less dignified than an equally valid job of carrying someone's luggage it's like the issue is like what they made it is like which one is is less dignifying it's like no the issue is that neither are exactly lacking it's funny, dignity it's funny because like through a modern lens that joke doesn't even land no Mm-mm. like like it wasn't even it was just kind of it it was so um it was so blatantly i don't even classist i guess i don't even know what that would be yeah every, just horrible in every single way classist like, and anti sex even yeah it didn't even it was just kind of like what huh mm-hmm. no that's a great point i love the point that you just made i think that is fantastic um because yeah like the issue is like not that she's chosen to be a stereotypical and like for the example that you give not that this woman has chosen to be a stereotypical um or chosen a stereotypical profession because i do believe house housework being a housewife is a profession yeah people literally get paid to cook and clean that's I know. Like that is your some some woman um did a study about how much money a woman should make if um all of the housework and everything and mm. laundry and everything that women are just expected to, to do, do. Yeah. Um if that was monet monetizable, 
Is that a word? Anyways. Yeah. Um, and women would be making like over, like three digit, three oh digit, six digit incomes. You're um, like two digit housewives. incomes. <laughs> <laughs> as housewives, because that's how monetizable all of those tasks are. Um, and women do it for free. Yeah. Predominantly, of course. Um, but what I'm but the point is, is like, and it goes to this as well. It's like, it's not only the choice to choose that, that, but it's also the choice to get out of it mm -hmm. if you so choose to, yeah. or the, the choice to change mm -hmm. that, um, that decision that you've made. Yeah. Um, and so that's another layer of, of how this coincides with your example i think that's perfect yeah. i love it thanks you're so smart i was really high that's amazing that's incredible wow I, honestly that was a ride for me just reading it <laughs> i was like where is this gonna go i don't know that's amazing we got back to hep cat yeah uh and something crawls through his window and kills him yep so the next morning <laughs> Mulder's running. Ooh, ooh, okay. <laughs> Cut this out. Woo, 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 yeah. Ooh, woo. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. I need you to go back and look at it because I was going to make a note about how he's wearing gray sweatpants. Right. Um, and then I was looking at his gray sweatpants. And there's like a mark, like what kind of mark? Like like a like a wet wet mark, like a wet spot. Okay, like a wet spot. So I'm gonna need you to look really quickly. Okay, wow, I went right to it. It's like I knew instinctively. Wow, it's so weird. It's not like it's almost like you watched it multiple times. Oh my god, you can see it. Jesus Christ, do you see that? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. What is that? What is that? At first I thought it was a shadow, but like that's fully wet. What is that? <laughs> Did he pee a little when he was running? I don't know. Why would that happen? Is that something that happens? It happens to people with vaginas. The only thing that I am thinking of is like whatever they put on him to make him look sweaty. But that doesn't look like that. That does not look like that. No, it looks like, wow. Wow. Anyways, my note about this was I love, one, that Mulder runs because sweaty and breathless is hot, right? And two, that he runs like an actual child with his arms flailing around. Yeah. He doesn't know where to put his fucking elbows. He has no running technique He's at so all. He's so loose. So the next morning, Mulder's running and he sees a grown-ass Tarzan man coming oh, out of this- Tarzan's hot. This guy's something else. Okay, fair. Um, bad Tarzan. Uh, coming out of this stream with a fish in his mouth and then proceeding to eat it raw in like his little loin skirt. Is that what it's called? Loincloth? Loincloth skirt. <laughs> I hate the sounds of that man chewing that fish. I know, but I know. Man just really wish Mulder would devour her like that. You got that right. He's covered in a puzzle tattoo and he runs away when he sees Mulder, which is really funny. <laughs> no. I mean, if I saw that stain on him, I'd run away. I'm like, ew. Change. So we see Scully wake up. I wrote, good morning, sleeping beauty. Crap. Why would you say that? 
because she looks so peaceful and pretty. That makes me really happy. Sleeping Beauty is my favorite princess. I want to name my future daughter Aurora and then call her Rory. Love that. So the dude with the brother attached to him is at her door. Uh, Her titties are out when she answers it. His deformity is out. Uh, I don't really understand why she slept in her bra and didn't just take it off when she put on her pajamas, but her boobs look perfect. So... Um, but this was one of those moments where I was like, what is it about this moment? So I went to our trusty source uh-huh. blog and they quoted um, a book or a paper or something. I don't even know what it was, but it's by Rhonda Wilcox and JP Williams. And it's called, what do you think the X-Files Limin- liminality and gender pleasures? Um, and they say, when Lenny is sent to awaken Scully one morning, the two stand at her trailer doorway looking at each other's proturbances. <laughs> scully at lenny's partially uncovered brother lenny at scully's partially uncovered breasts until they both realize that they have been doing until they both realize what they have been doing and simultaneously adjust their robes to cover themselves the man's gaze at the woman's difference is obviously connected to the woman's gaze at the monster's difference however in this case the two recognize what they are doing and thus force the audience to recognize to recognize that as well so staring at a woman's breast is just as unacceptable as as staring at a person's deformity each gaze involves objectification of difference which i thought was interesting that's really interesting because i was feeling the same way i was like there's something about this that is like more important making I, those the equip an equivalency yeah is bizarre yeah well it's it's bizarre but then i also kind of get i get what they were trying to do because they were being like in the way that it's i mean this is oh no 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 no, not bizarre in in like in a bad way yeah like um i meant like the what what's happening is there's something like it was just yeah yeah yeah, more more than what was happening because it's like there's an uh, there's an objectification that's rooted in both of those gazes inappropriate gazes yeah, yeah both of those inappropriate gazes that um made the audience like have to be aware of that in the way that they both do it and and, like we become aware of it at the same time that they do and so it was just an interesting Mm. moment and i couldn't articulate it so these people did for me that's so fascinating and then i i i was trying to wrap my head around like the ending of how it ends this interaction or the whole episode the whole episode Mm. and how this moment relates to the ending and if there's any significance, not that they intended, but if there's mm-hmm. any significance in the fact that what Scully was staring at ends up being violent and dangerous, mm. suggesting something about her boobs, like having being the same kind of something. I don't yeah. know. It, it's almost like what she was staring at ended up being being very destructive. And so what they were staring at at her is something sexual equal is equated to something equally as destructive and bad right i think it was un- unintentional um but it but it definitely it, it, it's still you make that unconscious association between that and something negative which is just mm-hmm. another unconscious um connection between her sexuality and danger and violence exactly how interesting your brain is so smart 
No, you just articulated that perfectly. I was just like, ha her boobs. Wow, they're so good. They're so good. They're so nice. <laughs> I wrote, what is it about the boob moment? I said, what is it about that boob ter- tumor moment? Is what I said. And then <laughs> when I was sober, I investigated. Yuck. 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 Um, and then I wrote, so did Scully bring that ugly ass scratchy looking robe from home? Because that's the same fucking one she has in her house. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no way that's Scully's robe. That's the one that they have her in their inner house I all know, the time, and it's fucking no ugly. No, she yeah. has like a silk or like a like fluffy, fluffy. cotton robe. Yeah. yeah, not like this like towel looking shit. Like yeah, and also why do I feel like in Arcadia she wears like a cloth one too? Fucking knows. Like like she would or... not wear either of those. I know. I have a cloth robe. Am I stupid? No, I was gonna say unless what would be really stupid. <laughs> Should I keep that in? <laughs> Something that would be really cute would be like if Scully and Mulder. That was like one of the robes that she stole from a hotel, and it was like the nicest hotel she'd ever been at in her life. Oh, I like that. And so she took it, and like then but then as she got as she gets older they would just get nicer and that would be just a cute little memento that she like thought at one point that that was like the epitome of comfort yeah luxury yeah um anyways we transition to Mulder and Scully in Hepcat's studio. Mulder notices that there's blood on the outside of the window and this brings up a few questions one how did someone who isn't a contortionist get through these windows Two, why didn't the person just come through the unlocked door? And three, why would the perpetrator already be covered in blood before he committed the crime? All good questions. And again, he sticks his fingers in everything except Scully. (laughs) I mean, like, that just becomes more and more um, cynical the longer that this series... The longer we can make that joke, the more... um, horrifying that statement you said that in like episode two and look at us on episode 41 i know 42 i don't know this is this is episode 42 this one will be now they're back at the trailer park they watch the dude who put um a railroad stake through his chest escape from a straitjacket while he's hanging upside down over a pot of boiling water he's so fucking like he's like how many people do you know that can do that none and Scully is so funny in this episode. She is. Did you catch that joke that she said to in the response to what he to what he just said? No. He said, "How many people do you know that who can do that, which is escape from a straitjacket in under three minutes?" And she goes, "Fortunately, none, <laughs> because why would you want someone to escape from, from a straitjacket?" Straight yeah, sure. She's funny. Anyways, his he's fun. Yeah, she's funny. Um, so his his name is Doctor Blockhead. Okay, sounds like all the men I've dated. <laughs> he says he performs acts of body mu- manipulation and pain endurance. Scully's like that. Just sounds like what I want to do with Mulder in bed. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. As he proceeds to uh, hammer a nail up his nose, and I think he's really doing it. I think, I think so David too. really pulls it out. Really? Yeah. Not what I wanted David to pull out. Scully says he must be one of the few people whose nerve endings don't register pain. Mulder pulls out the nail from his nose mm-hmm. and he tells them 
Mr. Block, Dr. Blockhead tells them that he learned from experts in body mutil, mutil why do I keep saying that? Because in body the manip- he's doing, but in body manipulation in Yemen. Um, and this is the blooper where <laughs> they make a joke about sucking their balls it's up in the episode somewhere i know but the way that the way that he says it is not correct oh. and jillian laughs so hard we have to put the blooper and in there's a lot of good bloopers from this episode her laugh is sunshine i love oh. it more than anything anyway it's so precious so then the puzzle man pops up out of the pot of boiling water <laughs> and we find out <laughs> that he's known as the conundrum what i want to be known he's, as he eats anything and then when scully asks if he eats human flesh because she's here to do her job yep um he all of a sudden apparently doesn't answer questions yeah he's he's silent so then he eats a bowl full of crickets and then scully eats one there's a blooper where it's not even a blooper it's just behind the scenes where when she eats the cricket she turns around and walks away once they're done with the tape with the take instead of saying cut kim manners just yells like that and then the whole crew applauds and it's really cute she looks so proud of herself (laughs) it's just really funny because when jillian walks away like like you can't see her you just hear her go (laughs) 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 but she did put it in her Um, mouth she did put it in her mouth after Scully eats the cricket, Mulder literally follows her like a little kid whose girl best friend just punched the boy who was bullying oh him. My God. It's really adorable. That's the, that's the perfect like, scenario. Wait up, wait up. He's like, oh my God, you did that so cute. Isn't that cute? Um, and then she pulls the cricket out from behind his ear and says her uncle taught her that. It's so cute. Her face, like when she's watching him look at her, like she's like she's like what she's like what what are you oh the cricket she's like so cute she's so coy she's a coy boy and he's like simultaneously just he's just amazed but also mildly turned on but mostly he's i wouldn't even say mildly he's like so turned on that he's just in awe he is he's like but it's like he also has that like that like little boy sense of oh my god you're the coolest ever I love all of these little bits of Scully coming out mm-hmm. and his reaction to I them. Know. Because you know that, like, when they first met, he thought she was, like, this, you know, yeah. stuck-up Navy brat who, you yeah. know, thought she knew everything mm-hmm. and wasn't going to listen to anyone yeah, else. Yeah, he definitely had major... Which is true. Yeah, which, but she has so much... has so many layers. She's like she an has onion. so many layers. She's and like he's like Shrek. Onion. Yep. Mulder's in love. Scully doesn't buy any of these performance tricks. No. Yada, yada, yada. Mulder says he's going to compare the blood from Dr. Blockhead's nail to the one that was the sample that was found on the window while Scully goes to the Gibsonton Museum of Curiosities. Yes. I don't know. Maybe you're going to say it. I don't want to hijack you. Is it about the free yes. sign? <laughs> Like it's like she le- the sign says freaks free 
Like, if not, like, I don't know why she really, made a donation. <laughs> she leaves a donation like she's not a freak. And I was like, don't lie, Dana, daddy issues, Scully. <laughs> we made the same joke. Don't fucking lie. <laughs> we see you, stupid gitch. Oh, my God. Anyway, I don't know why she left a donation, but we move. Stevie and I are on the same wavelength, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Um, and then I wrote scenes with so, only Scully in them make me feel really safe. Uh, so safe. That's the perfect way to describe them. <laughs> so she's looking around. What? I'm sorry. And then my next one was, so you're just going to have to post photos, photos of this entire scene, huh? I bet by the time we record this, some will already have been posted. <laughs> and look who was right. It's me. Please. Uh, <laughs> no photos. Uh. <laughs> Um, so she's looking around and in the museum and the person who owns it startles her. And all I have to say is that Dana Catherine Scully looks beautiful, caught off guard. And I can't imagine how beautiful she looks after being kissed. Oh, that's so sweet. I'd like to find out. I want to be loved Dana the way Scully. that you love Dana Scully. God damn it. I do love you the way I love her. Minus the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I know, thank you. But you know what I mean. I know what you mean. And you will. You will be. If that's what you want, it's yours. Did you know that? You're so cute. I'm serious. I love you. <laughs> love you. Okay. So Scully's asking him questions, trying to discern whether the men they've met are legit or just phonies <laughs> or gaffs, as the man oh. calls them. Oh, yes. Sorry, last one. Oh, yes. So he tells her that he has something that she'd find helpful in the murder they're investigating, but it turns out she was fooled, and what the man made her pay to see was just an empty box, and she's mad. She's like, fuck, I should have known. The only thing that Scully gets out of going to that museum is the dude hands her um, an ad for a dog-faced boy. Something's problematic with that. And then she leaves. So cut to Mulder at the trailer park. He finds Mr. Nut crawling under Scully's trailer and, of course, is protecting his wife. He says that he was fixing the plumbing and that not all women are attracted to overly tall, lanky men such as Mulder. Not all women, but, but this woman. These women. And he said, yeah, but the one whose trailer you were crawling under is so. (laughs) Beat Um, it. So Scully and him talk in her trailer. Mulder says Dr. Block had lied about everything and that his blood matched the sample on the window, but he's waiting for further analysis. And then she is so smug because she knows she has the juicier scoop. I was going to say there's so much like tension in this scene of them like just absolutely living for going back and forth on what information they gathered while they were apart. It's really hot. It's really hot. And like her like telling him this information is like her talking dirty to him. Like he looks like he's listening to her say what she what she wants to do to him. Spot on. You just nailed it. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what it is. Maybe that's why you're listening. Okay. So Scully says she did a background check on an orphan. This all comes out of left field. But Scully says she did a background check on an orphan. Discovered. He's like, huh? Discovered? It's William. Discovered in the wild forest of Albania in 1943, who was 
who was brought to the U oh, that was gross, who was brought to the US and displayed in a cage. And it turns out it was the sheriff. So she says that before becoming sheriff, he was Jim Jim the dog face boy. <laughs> Whatever. Basically, her lips look beautiful from this close-up, and I could watch her talk this closely all day. Hmm. I was really watching how she, like, moves her mouth when she says, pronunciates words. No. Pronunciate. Pro was that the wrong one? Pronounces. Pronunciate. Pronounce. Enunciate. What is the word? Pronounced words or enunciated. No, no, no. Is it enunciated? enunciated yeah. Fuck. <laughs> so Mulder and Scully spy on the sheriff digging and burying something under a full moon, and it's kind of romantic. Um, after he goes inside, they go to dig it up while Scully keeps watch. And oopsie, the sheriff sheriff catches them. And it turns out that what he was burying was a potato. A potato. <laughs> a potato. So so Scully basically says, or one of them says, this is probably bad because we are basically assuming that he's done something sketchy simply because he used to yeah. be a circus act. Mm -hmm. And Scully's like, it's like assuming guilt based only on skin color, isn't it? And, and so they're both kind of like, mm, Yeah. And, and then they keep digging. <laughs> but, like, what I think is cool about this episode is that, like, normally, like, anything that's considered different is immediately associated with bad and dangerous. And, like, mm. that creates a problematic subtext that's, like, the core of the show. And so right. this episode kind of flips that on its head um, because it gives us a community of that different that they normally encounter of mm -hmm. outsiders who are actually the victims rather than the perpetrators. And then it e – and then by – it actually calls them out on that, which is, which is cool, like what they do in this scene. Yeah. Because it acknowledges it. Wish we could see that with an actual person of color. Yes. Like, you didn't need to use um, people who perform in circus acts to have that metaphor hit. It's like the same thing as the Red Museum. Yeah. It's like, like a bunch <laughs> of white people in turbans being... The people who are oppressed. <laughs> like, what? It's exactly like that. And then also, I was wondering, do you think later on, like, when their child's dog died, that they, yeah. what? That they buried I it? I love these. Okay. I love when you do this. It's my new favorite thing is when I take things from cases and then see how, like, they would remember it later. Yeah. I'm enjoying it a lot. Thanks for letting me do it. Um, of course. But do you think that later, like, when, like, let's say they had a kid. And like their kid's dog died that they buried it in the backyard together in the middle of the night so that they could just tell their kid that it ran away in the morning and not admit that it died. And then like, <laughs> because they don't want to talk about it. And then like, what? I thought you meant like all three of them buried the, no. like I thought you meant they had a little ceremony. No, like just Mulder and Scully like in the middle of the night so that they could like lie and say the dog ran away. And then as they're digging, Mulder's like, I always hoped I'd dig in the middle of the night again with you. And she's like, what? Because she doesn't remember. And he's like, remember that case in that trailer park of blah, blah, blah? Like when we exhumed the potato? And she was oh, like, shut up, Mulder. Wow. I want to go to bed. <laughs> she's like, it was yes, wrong like then and it's wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't elaborate. 
that 100 happened and she absolutely makes him dig the hole put the dog in the hole and bury the dog yeah, while she, she just, just stands, stands there it. clutching her her robe because she's sad because it's their dog he's trying to like, sure make it better scully and her little catholic ass would have wanted her son to mourn and I'm assuming they have a son, yeah. apparently. But, no, I was thinking um, that too. But Mulder's like, but but also she can't, he's like, okay, well then you have to be the one to tell him. And she's like, bury the dog. She's like, let's go outside. She's <laughs> like, get the shove. So when the sheriff catches them, turns out they exhumed a potato. <laughs> and to salvage the minuscule trace of dignity they have, Scully swoops in and says that it's been documented that serial killers... <laughs> have a fascination with law enforcement, She's some so of them defensive. even holding positions on their local force as justification for them surveilling him, until Mulder sweeps in and blows their cover, saying they found <laughs> out he used to be a dog face boy. The sheriff is like, yeah, I'm bald now, um, <laughs> and I have warts, which explains the potato, apparently. <laughs> like, I've actually done that. Have you? Yeah. Neat. And did it work? Who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I think. When I was little, I thought it did. <laughs> it's hard to tell. Scully's like, so I suggested a dead end, Mulder. I'm really sorry, but I do know how to make it up to you. <laughs> Where are we? Cut to Mr. Nutt getting attacked <laughs> by some weird bloody fetus. Ankle through- grabbing is my biggest fear. Yeah, so Go piss, girl. Uh, through his dog's dog's doggy door. Not a fan. And he dies. So the guy who had Leonard, hello, Lenny, um, who had his brother Leonard attached to him, opens Scully's trailer while she's asleep. His hands are covered in blood grabs her shoulders to tell her that he found him and he's dead one she's so shocked oh my god why are you touching her yeah two you scared the fucking shit out of her i know three why are you touching her she's like don't you fucking dare get blood on my pajamas seriously and four the entitlement that men have to women's spaces Uh is the audacity staggering yeah just use the key that isn't yours and shouldn't be in your hands to break into a woman's trailer a woman who has had her home broken into before a woman who has been abducted from her home before yeah it's It's like and it's fucked up that they would just it's fucked up that it's written that's that's like yeah we'll have him just come into her trailer and that'll be fine it's just creepy like i get that it's supposed to be like these people are off their fucking rocker whatever why couldn't he have gone into Mulder's trailer exactly and scully could have scully the doctor could have already been at the scene yep it's like it's just so gross and then that was the whole thought (laughs) Yeah, it, well it's supposed it to be like a fake out like you see the bloody hands entering her so it's like oh, is scully gonna get taken and it's like suck oh, my yeah. fucking dick gully puts on a blazer over her pajamas which i think is so cute i wrote that exact same thing also not the first time which yeah. i like that that's her thing i know she's just like blazer means work doesn't matter what's underneath yeah. it doesn't matter if anything's underneath i knew you were gonna say that uh, and she goes to the crime scene with Mulder, 
There's blood on the doggy door, and they find uh, Dr. Blockhead's pin jabbed into Mr. Nut's hand. These names, I swear to God. <laughs> Mr. Nut. Uh, so Scully's like, like, are we sure we shouldn't suspect something more freakish? I love when she's And for right. once, Mulder's like, Scully, babe, don't complain about banality, which is a little role reversal, which I I'm know. a fan of. And she totally solves the case. I was going to say later on, yeah, in the jail, yeah. she, she totally solves it. So the sheriff <laughs> puts the alcoholic, uh, Lenny, in jail mm-hmm. for some reason. He's like, go to the drunk tank. And he's like, okay. Uh, and they go to arrest Dr. Blockhead, but he's putting hooks into his chest in order to hang himself from the hooks so that the pain is so great that he leaves his body. I wrote that when he says that, that's you when you listen to extremists in public wanting pain so intense that you leave your body. Yeah, maybe it is. So what? (laughs) So Scully's like, Jesus Christ, I'm arresting you. That's supposed to be the big moment, not your stupid hooks. Yeah. Um, So as she puts him in handcuffs, it's really hot the way she just pulls him up off the ground. Yeah. Um, he obviously escapes because he's an escape artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm Mulder falls. And Mulder. <laughs> I don't sound like that. You sound exactly like that. And Mulder falls onto a bed of nails, but he's fine. And Scully observes this pain threshold. Like, okay, noted. She's like hot okay they take him to prison for questioning but they hear lenny groaning so they go check on him scully trusts her gut and just solves the entire fucking case right here it's it's, so badass it's so hot she says to everyone's shock that leonard lenny's brother extracted himself from lenny's body and got out of the cell through the barred window she says she knows that she knows that despite being an appendage, as Mulder says, that the wound left is identical to the other victim's wounds, other than the fact that Lenny's not bleeding. Oh. So his wound looks like a giant asshole. It looks like a puckering sphincter. Literally. <laughs> okay. Did you know that you have sphincters all over your body? Not all over your body, but like inside your intestines, there's sphincters, and your mouth is technically a sphincter. Scully surmises that Leonard surmises. Okay, hot girl. That Leonard can detach. She 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 rubbed off on me. Mm. <clears throat> she she did what? Scully rubbed off on me. Um, and made me use a big girl word. <laughs> Fuck me. She made you do a few things. Okay, let's go. Okay. Mulder says, you're the, me- the, you're the medical expert, so if you think this is possible, I believe you. I? That'll make your pussy throb. I got a little misty, I can't lie. Down there. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. I know what I mean. <laughs> he said, I believe you, and I said, anytime. Scully, she, he was staring into her soul, too, which didn't help. No, not at all. Scully then goes up and like looks out the window mm-hmm. and she didn't she wasn't doing that to try to find evidence or because she saw the blood up there she, she literally was like can i fit through this oh my god i need to get out of She's here like, oh my god oh my god oh my god also it's the cute giggling blooper i know oh dear lenny explains that 
uh, his little bro leaves <laughs> not to kill people, but to try to find another brother. And he okay. fucking cries about it. Um, but then he says, you know, you can't change the way you were born. And he says that he'll come back. Um, but then Scully sees Leonard army crawling away outside the window. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> and they chase after him. Mm-hmm. So turns out Mulder also put a blazer on over his pajamas, which I just noticed at this moment. It's so hot and I hate that his hair fucking looks like that. I know. And it just looks staticky. He needs some hairspray or something or gel. Put some gel on your hair. So they end up following this fetus into a fun house. This little creature looks like um, like one of those memes. Yeah, like this is what Republicans think um, an aborted fetus looks like. (laughs) So they're in a fun house where walls end and there's mirrors and slides and nothing is as it seems. Mm -hmm. Um, Scully runs into a mirror and she looks hot. I'd walk towards her too. Um, then as she's walking down the hall, Mulder slides through the wall in front of her and the way she puts her hands up whenever she accidentally points a gun at him is so cute. That is one of my favorite things ever. I don't know why, but I just love it so much and I I made the same note. It's so adorable. Yeah, it's very cute. She's just like, oh, fuck. Scully suggests they go outside and catch it coming out, but it's already out and it attacks the conundrum. And then he eats it. Yeah. So it's the it's the next day. They're still looking for this thing, and the dudes are packing up to leave because they're scared of the thing still being on the loose. Mm-hmm. Scully. I wrote, okay, Miss Waste. Dana Catherine Scully in this outfit. It fits her like crazy what that does. First of all, she's wearing brown wide crop leg pants with a matching long brown double-breasted blazer with matching brown suede kitten heels. It's really important. With a cream colored shirt underneath. And when she was walking towards Dr. Blockhead man, like packing up his car, it looked like she just had the blazer on, which is, as you know, kind Mm. of like my thing. Yes. So that was good for me. Mm. Anyway, she looks absolutely stunning. And this might be one of my favorite Scully looks ever. It's so good. And like no one ever talks about it. Oh my God. It's flawless. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she tells this uh, Dr. Blockhead that Lenny died from alcoholism, aside from other anatomical anomalies his body had. Mm-hmm. She says she's never seen anything like it, and he tells her that she never will again because of genetic engineering that will eventually only make the perfect people mm-hmm. like our boy. Why is he standing Mulder? like that? Why is he standing like that? <laughs> I'm like, stop. And then she's like, well, he's a freak. He's just a different kind. Then he repeats the phrase that Scully says in the beginning, which is imagine going through your whole life looking like that about Mulder. As Mulder has got his hands on his hips, his sharp jawline and his thick neck on display. He's powerful. Stupid porky pine hair. I know. Anyway. Like everyone, he looks like such a dweeb to me there. Oh, totally. Makes me yeah. sad because I'm like, imagine season four Mulder in that oh. scene. Then the point, I, the point would have been 
yeah, that would have hit hit it home. The hairdresser really fucked us on that one. Anyway, the moral of the story is apparently some is apparently maybe some mysteries aren't meant to be solved. The conundrum doesn't feel well. Scully says she hopes it's nothing serious. Then we find out that the conundrum can in fact speak. And what does he say? Must Probably something I ate. Freaking grins as they drive away. And Scully's like, let's get the fuck out of Florida. And honestly, babe, yeah, I, I agree with you. My last note was how odd. How odd. <laughs> it's so odd. Yep. And yep. that's the episode. And that's the episode. Let's do a really quick Jillian's Corner. Jillian's Corner. Yeah. Well, aside from all of her perfect bloopers, <laughs> right. her perfect, adorable bloopers, um, Stevie and I thought I very appropriate I. for Women's uh, History Month. Yes. We quote one of Jillian's most iconic moments, which is when um, a photographer asked her to smile, and her response was, I don't smile. <sighs> fuck yeah it's just the amount of times that like i and so many other women and female presenting people like get harassed in public to smile like and to and to see that perpetuated like within the fandom as well like when people when she's looking very serious and 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 fans will comment and be like, "What's why does she look so upset? It's just like, because she doesn't owe anybody a smile, even if she's gotten an award. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, because ultimately, the whole uh, socialization behind that is just that men and the patriarchy and society, which is a patriarchy mm-hmm. circle, Ouroboros, um, <laughs> wants women that are approachable and people pleasing and desirable because that's all controllable for um and and very comfortable for their consumption yeah well it's Um, like and for them to be around yeah it's like you always have to be consumable yep and you're not if you don't look happy or like well it's just like it's like it's the same thing it if you if a man tells a joke and you don't laugh at it um that is uncomfortable for them yeah and so and there's no room in society for um for a woman who isn't people pleasing constantly um and isn't making sure that she's doing everything that she can um despite her own wants and her own needs and her own desires and her own feelings to make sure everyone else is as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second women are willing to conform to fit this um, desirable mold, um, or the second that they aren't willing to fit that, mm-hmm. they're a bitch or they're a prude or they're a slut or they are um, whatever. Yep. Um, but we become undesirable when we aren't consumable and controllable because we exist outside of what is controllable. And that's very uncomfortable for a patriarchy. I couldn't have said it better myself, friend. Jillian not wanting to smile despite the fact that she's won an award 
um, is very, very valid. And I love her for it. Um, love her. Because she said, her for it big time. I refuse to be physically performative in a way that suggests I'm happy and is a socialized embodiment of that and beauty so that everyone else is comfortable. Fuck that. And that is the episode. And that is the motherfucking episode. This is a shout Thank out to Future know. Stevie for getting through editing that. You're hot. Yeah. Don't be mad. Be glad with Black Force Wings. <laughs> um thank you so much for listening we love you to pieces don't stick your fingers in blood and nail things into your skull yeah please don't attempt anything that you've seen in this episode (laughs) don't try to jump into rivers and eat live fish don't Don't try to suck your balls into your abdomen or if you do let us know how it goes yeah. How much control do you have down there muscle wise? Anyways, question for another no time. Idea. <laughs> question for another podcast, I think. Probably. Can we love you? <laughs> See you Bye. next time on Oh. On <laughs> the Sex Files. The Sex Files. The Sex Files. The Sex Pickles. Bye. Bye.